For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, we hear in this service and in these readings of a God who comes near, of a God who is not standoffish, a God who doesn't uh, keep his distance, doesn't uh, throw out his arms to say, no, not too close. Um, but we read of a God who moves towards us. And Father, that is a frightening and delightful truth. And I pray, Father, that you will do that now that you will step near us, that you will step towards us, and that we might know that not entirely safe delight to be approached by a holy and merciful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, um, all right, Christmas uh, is just around the corner. And uh, Christmas means uh, many, many things, uh, but I want to show you one, and I want to use, uh, we'll look at all the readings, we'll reference all the readings, but we're going to use that last reading as a little bit of a window, maybe an unexpected window, into uh, one of the key meanings of Christmas, but here it is. Christmas uh, gives a foundation to our life that cannot be shaken even when the storm rages beyond our capacity to handle it. Let me try to set this up. Um, when, when you head into Christmas, there's at least two um, experiences that become very, very acute. The first experience that becomes very, very acute is the one we all want to have. And it's like, it's happy Christmas. You know, it's, it's all the stuff you love about Christmas and you see the beauty of the world. It's, it's good friends. It's good food. It's time together. It's like ice skating at Rockefeller Center or something like that. Um, it's finding out your team won. Um, but don't check right now. Um, uh, you know, it's everything you want to have at Christmas. It's the beauty of the world. And sometimes that feeling becomes acute, and it's wonderful. But there's another experience that often becomes acute, and that is a deep sense of the brokenness of this world. And, and this one we don't uh, talk about so much, but it happens for a lot of us. A lot of us, this time of year, maybe this is true of you, become suffocated by sadness this time of year. Uh, it, might be that, it might be that you lost somebody, and this is the first Christmas without that person. 
Uh, it might be that you don't even have a clue why you're so sad, but this time of year it just gets dark. And, and so, in other words, sometimes the storm rages louder this time of year than at any other time of the year. And very often when we're in that place, when the storm is raging louder than it does at other times, very often we get really quiet about it. And one of the reasons we get quiet about it is uh, we start thinking, hey, you know what? It's Christmas. We're supposed to be happy. Um, and I'm not happy. And I don't want to share my unhappiness with the person beside me. And if I'm unhappy during Christmas, it must mean I don't get it. There's something I don't get. And so you you're quiet, and maybe that's where you're at, or maybe that's where the person beside you is at, or maybe that's where the person who isn't beside you and didn't come today is at. Now, I want to tell you, if that's where you're at, um, that doesn't mean that you're not getting Christmas. In fact, in a remarkable way, it might be almost the opposite. It might be that when the storm of life is raging around you with louder than normal intensity, you might have the opportunity to grasp a deep meaning of Christmas more than anyone else. Why do I say that? Because one of the things that we find out at Christmas is that God has come to give us a foundation that cannot be shaken even when the storm rages. And I want to show you three reasons why that's true. Here they are. Because Christmas means that Jesus entered the storm with us. Secondly, Christmas means that Jesus weathered the storm in a way we can't. And thirdly, Christmas means that Jesus came to rescue us from the storm that we cannot endure. Let me explain. First of all, Jesus entered the story the storm with us. And, and this is just the classic story of Christmas, right? We just read one of the accounts. Uh, Mary and Joseph are traveling. They don't live in Bethlehem, but they come to Bethlehem. And Mary goes into labor. They can't find a place to stay. You know the story. And so Jesus is born uh, where livestock is supposed to be, and he's laid in a manger in a feeding trough. But here's my question. I mean, that's, a, that's an unusual birth story, but why is it that that story gets told and retold in every generation for the past 2,000 years? Or another way to ask the question is, why is it that the shepherds in our story are so incandescently happy about this unusual birth story? Well, to explain that, we need to back up and think about a little bit about the earlier readings uh, in our service. Um, if you back up and you look at the first two readings, and think about the second uh, in particular, this strange story about this tower that gets built uh, a long, long time ago. It's a story of Babel. The Tower of Babel, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, in this story, it's a picture of something that happens deeply within the human life, within all of our lives. These people, they build a, a big tower. There's nothing wrong with building a big tower, but what it means is this. These people are seeking uh, security and significance through autonomous achievement. They're trying to achieve something. There's new technology. They're able to make bricks better than they previously were. And so they build this big tower, but what they're trying to do underneath all that is gain security and significance by their own efforts, their own strength, their own significance, their own achievement. They're relying on themselves. And in doing that, they're quarantining God. They're acting as if God either doesn't exist or, or, or isn't relevant to their lives. 
And that theme happens not just in that moment where they build the Tower of Babel, but it happens all through Scripture and it happens all through our lives. We have a tendency to try to gain security and significance through relying upon ourselves, quarantining God into a part of our lives where we can control him. And the thing that the Bible says is just repeatedly, that's a story that ends badly. In fact, it's a little bit like trying to build a lovely house in hurricane country without paying any attention to the foundation. It looks great and it's cheap, but it won't last long. And that theme runs through the whole Bible. But then there's another theme that runs through the whole Bible, and it's, it can be phrased in this question. If humanity is always trying to rely on ourselves and quarantining God away from ourselves, what's God going to do about it? How's, gonna, how's God going to respond to the fact that we quarantine him away? And it could be that God just says, well, I mean, it's your choice. You know, have it your way. See how it works out for you. But the surprising thing in the Bible is that that's not what God does. God makes a different choice. And you can see that different choice in the third lesson. Uh, this is from the prophet Isaiah. This is written eh, somewhere around 800 years before Jesus. And in it, Isaiah predicts, if you look at line six, a child, a son will be given. And you notice the authority or the government, the heavy lifting is on his shoulders. And part of what this means is that there's, uh, Isaiah is predicting that this child that will be born at some point is going to, in a remarkable way, signify that God is chasing us down into the hurricane of life. He's chasing us down to rescue us from the storm that we cannot endure. Now keep that in your mind and go back to the shepherds, because this explains why the shepherds are so incandescently happy about the birth of this child, and it also explains why for 2,000 years we've been telling the story of the child who was laid in the manger. Because what, mean, what it means is this, the birth of Jesus means that God is not just ratifying our decision to quarantine him. Instead, God is breaking through that quarantine in order to chase us down in the midst of the storm. It means that Jesus is not a kind of abstract, distant deity that chucks out some advice and some commands. He's not a God who says, I'm going to uh, insist upon my divine prerogative to not suffer. I'm not going to get my hands dirty. That's what Many people think of God, but that's not Jesus. Jesus is God who steps towards us into the raging storm. And that's the first reason that you can trust Jesus, because Christmas means Jesus has come into the storm with us. But not only has Jesus come into the storm with us, Jesus is also the God who weathers the storm, who experiences the storm right to the end. Uh, think about this. Um, th th think about your own experience of suffering. If you're in the midst of suffering, who are the people you're going to trust? Who are the people that you should trust? If you're in the midst of suffering, you want to trust, isn't this right? You want to trust somebody who has gone through suffering a little bit like yours, maybe more, uh, but who has weathered it well. That's the kind of person you can trust in suffering. And that's who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is famous for suffering at the end of his life. Uh, but he didn't just suffer at the end of his life, he suffered all through his life. 
I mean, he was born and laid in a manger. That is not economic prosperity. But not only that, within a few months, did you know this story? A guy called Herod, a political leader, tries to assassinate him and kills a bunch of other kids hoping that he gets Jesus. And that causes Jesus and his family to become uh, political refugees in Egypt. That's not an easy life. And they're there for years, and finally when they get back, they never achieve economic security, so far as we know in Jesus' life. And then as Jesus grows up, he was harassed by people that we would call trolls that are always nipping at his heels and harassing him. And he was rejected both by his family and by the religious establishment. Uh, he, uh, he lost friends that were dear to him. If you're grieving today, there's a story about Jesus at a funeral and he weeps. And later on, he was betrayed by his closest friends. He was, when he was finally executed, it was both religious violence and it was political violence all coming down on him at the same time. And as he was suffering upon the cross, he felt abandoned by God. Jesus' birth means God has weathered the storm, the storm you're in and worse. And you know, when you're in the midst of suffering, suffering can do different things. It can bring out the best in us or it can bring out the worst in us. But it often reveals what's really there. And that's what happens when you look at Jesus. Jesus is suffering throughout his whole life, put on display his inner quality. In that last reading, it talks about fruit trees. You can tell a good fruit tree from a bad fruit tree is, does it produce good fruit? And when you look at Jesus' life, you watch him in the storm, in the hurricane of life, and he displays pristine fruit. You can see that in his moral life. Even in Jesus' suffering, he never becomes self-absorbed. He never becomes resentful. Uh, and instead, he responds, even to his enemies, with love and with truth. The suffering displays his inner quality. Now, how is it that Jesus could weather the hurricane of life so well? Where did it come from? And the answer to that is he was the opposite of the Tower of Babel. He did the opposite of what we do. We tend to quarantine God and try to find significance and security through our own efforts. I'm going to pull it off on my own. But that's not that's a house without a foundation, and that's not what Jesus did. Jesus turned that upside down. Jesus is living in constant intimacy with God, uh, listening to God, obeying God, loving God, enjoying God. There's nothing dour about Jesus. And that intimacy with God was his foundation, and the storm of life couldn't destroy him. The storm of life actually brought out his moral purity, but even when it killed him, Three days later, he rose again, which means Jesus was master of the hurricane of life. And what I'm saying is that as we come to Jesus at Christmas, he demands our trust. He earned it because he entered the storm with us, and he weathered it better than any of us. But that's not all. The final thing is this. Jesus entered and did all of that so that he could rescue us from the catastrophic storm we cannot endure. Look back at that sixth reading. Jesus tells the story of two houses, two ways to live. One house is like the Tower of Babel. It doesn't have a foundation. And this is a life where God is quarantined and we rely upon our own achievement and resources for security and significance. And Jesus in this story is trying to wake us up to a warning. 
Because he's saying that that, that our self-constructed house is not sufficient for the hurricane that's coming. Our self-sufficiency, friends, this is, I'm going to say something scary, ready? Our self-sufficiency is insufficient. And that is a frightening idea to consider. It's not what you want to hear, is it? (laughs) And it's so frightening that it makes us feel vulnerable. And often that's exactly the kind of idea that we want to, as quickly as possible, quarantine into that little box where we try to keep God. But the problem is that deep down, the the reality is the hurricane is coming. And some of us are feeling it now. Some of us have felt it in the past. And the rest of us just wait. Because even if our life turns out great, in the end, death is the hurricane that finally catches us all. But the other house in the story has a foundation, and that's Jesus' foundation. It's a foundation based upon intimacy with God, listening to him, enjoying him, obeying him, and that's the foundation that we need. The trouble is, friends, you think I'm going to tell you, oh, just go out and act up and get a better foundation, but here's the problem. None of us can retrofit our house adequately. We've all built our house. We're all like Babel. The house is built, the hurricane is coming, and the time is gone. And you're like, wow, this is really dour. But Merry Christmas, because... <laughs> no, I'm, I know. No, I'm serious. Because that's the problem that brings out the significance of Christmas. Because Christmas is when God entered the hurricane to rescue us. Jesus is not just about, you know, Christmas is not just about Jesus doling out some teaching for us to follow and kind of uh, upgrade our life a little bit. Christmas is about Jesus entering into the hurricane in order to give to us his perfect foundation. Jesus came to take to himself our flawed foundation, our self-reliance, our autonomy, our pursuit of significance and security through our own achievement. He takes that to himself and he suffers the consequence when the hurricane gets him on the cross. But in its place and through his death and resurrection, he can give to us his own foundation, his trust in God, his perfect obedience to God, his intimacy with God. And when you find yourself receiving a foundation you cannot construct. When you see yourself receiving a foundation that Jesus came to give you, it'll change the posture of your soul. It'll give you hope in the midst of the hurricane. It'll cause you to look at Jesus and find yourself wanting to listen and wanting to obey because when you're in the middle of a rescue operation and when you're the person getting rescued, you don't have to deliberate about whether to listen to your rescuer. Your rescuer has all your attention and all your obedience, and that is what Jesus has come to give us. And that's what Christmas is. He's come to us in the midst of the hurricane to give us a foundation that can never be shaken. And are you in the hurricane? Jesus wants to give you something better than a warm, fuzzy feeling. He wants to give you himself. So receive him. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel.
And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.